We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We are here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. The show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. Your your feet are swinging like a kid in a high I chair. I really, and it's yeah. just it's it's a little hilarious, mildly distracting. For I me. I do feel like a toddler, and I <laughs> and I wasn't even out of breath reading that and swinging my legs at the same time. Right. Like I mean, this is this is hit the big time now. This this is great. It must be must be an intro shape. We always need tall chairs for Don Palumbo. Oh my gosh, and my feet never touch. It is embarrassing, but not really. It's not embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the people that don't give me chairs. Right. Just kidding. Thank you to somebody who laughed. I appreciate that. One person laughed. Yep. All right. Pity laughs are accepted <laughs> yes. on this on this program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Please, please laugh. I, it, it it gets weird if you don't. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a big thank you to those listening, and of course those joining us as we support our favorite zoo in North Dakota, Roosevelt Park Zoo in Minot, North Dakota tonight. We appreciate you. Big round of applause for all of the keepers, all of the people behind the scenes. They've got a lot of. Uh, a lot of hard work uh, ahead of them as they deal with the flood stuff, and so we should be there to support them every every every, every step of the way. So yeah, shout out Roosevelt Park Zoo. Yeah. And of course, a big big thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are grateful for the comments, the feedback, whether they're nice or not, um, and of course, the support that we receive from our listeners. When you when you just fill out the review on iTunes, Spotify doesn't let you do that yet, but um, it does huge things for us and we really, really appreciate it. And that is what has helped us be in the top 100 trending and we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. Absolutely. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? I mean, I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah, we're, we're, we're quickly approaching. We're almost at like 700 total reviews. So if you haven't reviewed yet and you're a fan and a listener, Please go to iTunes, drop a review, say something nice, tell us how much you like cheese or our bad jokes or don't or whatever. We would really appreciate it. This one comes from even if you call me intellectually lazy, we'll right. still we'll still give you a shout out. Yeah, and it it does good things for us. You so. can insult us, and we might read it on the air. Yeah, we prefer not to be insulted. <laughs> this one comes from Beaner seventy four. The best true crime podcast yet. Five stars. This is my new favorite podcast. It is very interesting to hear about the cases you only read about or seen on the news. When North Dakota nice gets a dark side, the in-depth story analysis and occasional laugh makes this a great hot dish companion. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that that is that is a good review. We get a kick out of the very Midwest right there. This one comes from Shay Rocks, starting at the beginning. Five stars. I am new to the podcast and am currently listening to 2021. I like to start at the beginning. Oh. 
I, Don, Don and I are really hard on ourselves about the beginning. So if you've been here with us since the beginning or you started at the beginning and we're like, yeah, okay, I'll give these guys a shot. Thank you. Nobody leads with their best stuff, you guys. We don't. Okay. But but you can get judged by what you lead with so mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. No one thinks about. Anyways, I like to start at the beginning. This has become my go-to podcast for true crime. I'm a North Dakota girl for all my life, and I've lived in oblivion of many of these crimes previously. The people with evil on their hearts mm. truly are everywhere, including our great state. Thank you for bringing these local stories to light. Those are awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank thanks you. A thank lot. you. Be sure to check out our merch on Too Many Shirts, T O O, many shirts.com slash Midwest dash murder. Um, to order, you can follow that link or go to our socials. We've got a, few, a couple new designs, products. We're always looking for, of course, dumb shit that we say to go on T-shirts. Right. Right? I mean, Sometimes we don't know how quality the dumb shit we say actually is until someone else tells us, hey, that was pretty funny. Put it on a T-shirt. And for those we of you asking, Anastasia will be on one. <laughs> I think we need like the Anastasia with some sort of enunciation, pronunciation mm -hmm. type of thing on there. Yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. You'll be the first one to get Ideas one. guy. Don yeah. Ideas guy Palumbo. That's actually that's her nickname. It's what we call her in the business. It is not. Uh, oh. Sponsor. So this show is brought to you by Midwest Memoirs. Have you ever wondered how the stories of the people you love most will live on after they are gone? Midwest Memoirs is here to help you capture the most precious memories of your loved ones as told in their voice. This, of course, is done with research of your family member and then completed through a professionally guided interview in our amazing studio using state-of-the-art recording equipment. Um, we also travel. We There are other ways we can get it done. It's uh, the, the world is our, our oyster, your oyster, whichever way um, you want to look at it. Because, of course, the most important stories that we will ever hear are those of the people we love most. So find us on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, even if you are looking at like a small town, we're doing a, a project for some veterans, um, for a veterans group. So it's not just limited to your family, but that's that's where we started. Right. And we've had mm -hmm. a few requests for family reunions if you just mm -hmm. want to get a few people together to talk about family memories, your lineage, your heritage, things like that. I think it's it's so important to capture that and have that for the future for your family. Never a dry eye in the house. And just going back to the merch, I have yet to see anybody wearing a pair of the new Midwest Murder sweats that we have on there. So I'm just going to put, put this out there. First person I see at a Midwest Murder live show wearing a pair of our sweats, I'm buying you a beer. So if that's, if you, I'm buying you a beer. So cool. Is little that incentive. me too or no? Don Palumbo, you don't count. Okay. All right. All right. Well, this year is 1993 again. I don't know what was going on in 1993, but people were some kind of angry. It was a year full of murder everywhere. It was, it's weird. It's alarming. Uh, Pablo Escobar, the king of cocaine, was shot and killed by police in Colombia. Czechoslovakia split into the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Bill Clinton was sworn into office as the 42nd president of the United States. The infamous deadly standoff between federal agents and the cult, the Branch Davidians, in Waco, Texas, began and would go on for 51 days. Oh, that one is chilling. One of the most standout moments from my childhood that really stuck with me. And I think it's why I'm mildly obsessed with cults as an adult. Well, I'm glad you went that way instead of... Starting one. Right. Yeah, well, maybe good. I did start one. You just, you're not in it yet. Count me out. Yeah. <laughs> um, women were, it was 1993, women were now allowed to fly warplanes in the U.S. Air Force. So that's nice that they were finally included. Uh, Prince changed his name to a symbol. 
the artist formerly known as was a, a mouthful. Um, Jurassic Park, the first movie in that franchise, was released, and it made something like five hundred and twelve million or billion. There's a difference, I know, but it's, it's up there. I definitely don't think it was the B one. Million makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, in the first weekend. So yeah, that probably uh, X Files debuted. Scientology was now considered a recognized religion. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they've been looking for Shelley Miscavige ever since. No cult followers there. I, that's okay. I'm sorry if anybody's a Scientologist. Oh God. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think that went through. Uh, moving on. Doggy Style. Uh, Snoop Dogg's debut album was released. All right. Moving on a, to Doggy Style. It's a nice. All right. It's a nice segue. Right. Yeah. Uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that year was Cream, CCR, The Doors, Etta James, Van Morrison, Dick Clark, and of course, uh, a few other names as well, but those were the big ones. Uh, the Buffalo Bills were beat by the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl 27. I had to do the math there. Uh, tennis star Monica Seles was stabbed during a quarterfinal match. Like during the actual match? Yeah, it was a break. Yeah, she was stabbed. A, a psycho fan came down and... Holy yeah. shit. I'm sorry. That. A mentally ill fan. I did not mean to call them psycho. They, that's well, unfair, but I mean, mentally ill is fan. It, is it unfair or is it properly applied? Uh, mentally unwell. Okay. We'll just go with that. Yeah. Right. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup after beating the LA Kings. And the Toronto Blue Jays beat the Philadelphia Phillies winning the <laughs> World Series. So that's 1993 in a nutshell. In a nutshell. So Crystal, Minnesota is a medium-sized suburb just minutes northwest of Minneapolis. It is the true definition of a bedroom community. Jonah now knows what that means, right? We talked about it on a about, or that T South Dakota case, yeah, right? Yeah, kind you, of. You sleep it, there. You basically, you sleep there. You work elsewhere. All right. Mm-hmm. Thanks for reestablishing that because <laughs> yeah. not everything sticks the first time. So. It, uh, y- yeah. So it has an abundance of housing, but of course, limited jobs, giving it that small town feel, especially with a, a population both today and in 1993 of around 23,000 people. So even within with the city minutes away, the town does have its its fair share of bars and restaurants, you know, a little bit of shopping. They have marshals. You know, it's it's a small town on steroids a little bit. All right. Yeah. Because, of course, the city is so close. Yeah. And small town on steroids, that's being on steroids is a good thing is what you're saying. In this instance, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Marianne Hagford, or Mary, as she preferred, and Paul Wilson met in 1986 when they both worked at Scoville Press Incorporated in Plymouth, Minnesota. After meeting, it didn't take long for the two to hit it off and start dating. They were young when they met. Mary was 21. Paul was 19. And almost from the get-go, alcohol was a struggle in this relationship. Shortly after they started dating, Paul was convicted of his third DUI. He was 19. I was going to say, okay, 19. Wow. Yeah. Definitely some alcohol issues. As part of his sentence, he was ordered by the court to attend AA meetings. Mary would go along, and on their way home, they'd stop at the liquor store for some booze for the rest of the evening. As one does. It was definitely a struggle. Yeah. After two years of dating, the two purchased their first house together, which, of course, is no small feat at 23 and 21. So they seem to still have it together. But what started as an average, seemingly happy relationship quickly began to center only on alcohol, and it became a volatile on-again, off-again relationship. Oh. So that volatility, unfortunately, eventually turned to violence between the couple, with police being called to their home at least five times in the seven years they were together. 
But there weren't any arrests for domestic violence-related charges. It's hard to say if there should have been, though. I like the way it was put for a 1994 published article for the Minnesota Law Review with the University of Minnesota Law School. Margaret Hobday said, quote, The overwhelming problem of domestic violence in the United States demands a vigorous response. Throughout history, society has largely ignored domestic abuse due to the traditional view that violence in the home constitutes a, quote, private matter. Oh, that makes my skin crawl. Yeah. So it's like what we don't know. So you, you have to wonder if those cops showed up, was there, you know, were there visible bruises or marks? Should they, should he or she have been arrested? Uh, but because we kept our nose out of it. I'm glad, I'm grateful that you said he or she in this instance. I realize that women are more likely to be a victim in these circumstances. However, sometimes in these more volatile alcohol-fueled relationships, that kind of abuse can go both ways. It can go either way, for sure. With Mm -hmm. with the cops coming there that frequently, I guess that was my question. Are they coming here because he called them or she did or neighbors or do we know or remains to be seen? We're going to put a pin in that one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pinned in. So on on Sunday, December 19th, 1993 at 6 a.m., When some families were sleeping in, others probably making breakfast, maybe going to church, Wilson woke up on the third day of a bender for him and Mary and immediately began drinking. At 11 a.m., Wilson called his mom, who, with his dad, didn't live far from where Wilson and Mary lived on Veracruz Avenue. During the 10-minute conversation, he told her that he and Mary, his mom, he told her that he and Mary were going to go shopping for a Christmas tree that day. His mom had a strong suspicion that he'd already started drinking because according to her, quote, his voice was not clear. So he was, I mean, slurring. Sure, sure. Yeah, she could could pick up. It's her son. And it's her son. She's clearly spoken with him numerous times when he's highly intoxicated. You can tell the difference. Some people mask it well, but moms pick that shit up. Right. So just before noon, the couple made their way to a nearby Christmas tree lot that wasn't far from the VFW, which was not picked by accident. So when they were done picking out their tree, they could stop for a drink before going home. So everything the, the they do was, is, is, yeah. is centered around how can we involve alcohol? Yes. That's tough. They, they picked that Christmas tree lot just because it was because closest to a place to get, to mm-hmm. get a beer afterward. Yeah. It, it truly was the center of their life. Yeah. Together. So when they got there, Wilson had two shots of tequila while Mary had a beer and they were there for an hour and a half. I, my guess is they had more than that. Yeah, that's... I mean, just kind of... That feels like a minimum level of consumption for an hour and a half. I think we're, I think we're underestimating the numbers there, for Like sure. if, you, if you get pulled over and, you know, a cop's like, how many drinks did you have? <laughs> just two. Just two. It's always just two. It's you know, always it's, just two. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if I had to guess, that would be a little bit more than, than uh, and what they're saying. With the tequila, I mean, that's gasoline. I mean, you're just taking mm-hmm. in gasoline right there at noon. So after about an hour and a half, the two began arguing. Apparently, Wilson made a comment regarding another woman who was at the bar. Don't know what that comment was, but I feel like you can probably speculate on that one. Sure, trying to incite some jealousy. Upset, Mary got in their vehicle and started to drive home. Feeling guilty or having leveled out at that point, Mary turned around just a few minutes later to go pick up Wilson, but he had already started walking. So the two met at home. By 2 p.m. when Wilson got home, tempers and feelings had subsided or at least been pushed down. Wilson called his parents' house again, but this time spoke to his dad, who was watching the Vikings-Packers game on TV. 
Like usual, the two talked about how the game was going, which if you're a Vikings fan, it went surprisingly well since they won 20 to, 21 to 17 uh, that day. Thank, thank you for including that. I was curious myself. I, yes, yeah. seriously. I was Yeah, I was like, well, what mood was the dad in? Was first in question that was fired it? off in my yeah. mind was, I wonder yeah. who won the game. See, sometimes people do want to talk about football. Of course they like, do. Yeah. I could, half this crowd wants to talk about the Super Bowl right now. I can just tell. Taylor Swift. They want to talk about Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I could not. I, I could not hold back on that one. Sorry. Nice job. Uh, yeah. So Wilson told his dad that he and Mary were having a hard time cutting off the end of the trunk of their fresh tree, which if you've had to do it, there's a reason you pay people to do it because that's a son of a bitch to do. Okay. Like, yeah. You're sawing. You've got to saw off the cap of the end of the tree. Right. And it's why it's why if you have a, a live tree, you can't let the water get below that cap because otherwise you have to take it out and saw it off again. I didn't it won't know. Get water. I, I had no idea that people bought live trees and then had to like work on them and chop them up and cut them up for them to just go up in their house. That is not the place I buy my tree. Yeah, they do it that, for me. Yeah, that sucks yeah. right there. Just a just an amateur horticulturist over here. Not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I no. I keep I keep water in that son of a bitch so I don't have to do it. Yeah. So anyway. It was, yeah, she they were having a, a hard time. And so he told his dad, you know, that it wasn't going well. And Wilson's dad also picked up that his son had been drinking that day and because he said he was, quote, thick-tongued. Okay. I, yeah, I've never heard that never description heard of that, it, yeah. but it makes, makes sense. sense. So between 2.30 and 2.40, not long after Wilson and his dad hung up, Wilson called back to his parents' house when his mom answered... Wilson said, quote, Mama, Mama, come quick. Mary's dead. Holy shit. That's. Yeah. Turn of events. Very quick. Mm-hmm. The game ain't even over yet. It's not. Yeah. No, it... Yeah. Good, good call. So Wilson's parents. Called his dad at halftime. His wife was dead before the game, before the fourth quarter. Jesus. Yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah, that's all right. So Wilson's parents, uh, hearing the news, immediately drove to the couple's home to find their son standing outside by the garage. After speaking with him for just a few minutes, Wilson's dad then went inside, absolutely no urgency whatsoever, to call police while his wife waited outside with her grown son. When his dad walked into the house and into the living room, he saw Mary's body on the floor. A few minutes later, His mom stepped into the house, inadvertently kicking a handgun that had been on the floor, kicked it across the room. Worried that the gun might randomly fire, she picked it up and put it on the couch. We don't know about crime scenes in 1993 very well. The layman doesn't, you know? Right. Yeah. CSI wasn't there yet. Like, we just didn't... When you know better, you do better. Right. And just a bull in a china shop walking into a crime scene, you're just, I mean kicking a gun here. I'm like, oh, well, we'll just put that on the couch so nobody else kicks it. <laughs> I, like, I, I mean... I like yeah. how you pointed out that the wife waited with, uh, quote, the grown son. Yeah, he's not 12. Yeah. He is He is 27. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 26, 20, whatever. Old enough to know better. Well. So at 2.47, because his dad had called the police when he got inside, at 2.47, Crystal Police arrived at the home of Paul Wilson and Mary Hagford. When police entered the home into the living room, police immediately noticed Mary's body, which was lying face up on her back. And it was no secret she was deceased. The home was messy and in a, quote, state of disarray. 
my biggest fear. If I end up murdered or dead, my house is not clean. That is that has become not not being murdered. That's not my biggest fear anymore. It's it's having it happen, and it and and someone walking into my messy home. Well, that's that's why you just you know you just don't get murdered. Well, there you go. First and foremost. So this this place was a disaster. There were alcohol alcohol bottles just they littered the house. Okay, so not a disaster because there had just been a fight, but kind of maybe that's how they live. Were yeah. not yeah. very well yeah. kept. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And above the couch hung a shattered glass picture frame that had been hit with something and had left broken glass on the couch. The Christmas tree was on its side on the floor with cut marks and what appeared to be blood on the trunk of the tree. Next to it was a bloodied handsaw and a shell casing. You have no idea where this is going, do you? I, 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 yeah. I don't know. Christmas tree battering ram? I don't know. Under Mary's body was a small pool of blood. Under the tree trunk, about two to three feet from Mary's body, was a large pool of blood measuring 18 inches in diameter. The enormous pool of blood saturated the carpet and at this point had dripped through the subfloor into the basement. Holy. At first indication, it appeared Mary had been shot in the back of her head while she was either kneeling or standing. The autopsy would later show that she, w- she had been kneeling. The autopsy would also confirm that Mary was shot at close range, so close that there was blood found on the inside of the gun barrel. And there was an imprint of the muzzle on the back of her head. That is chilling. While detectives processed the scene inside, another detective went to speak with Wilson and his parents. It did not take him long whatsoever to determine that Wilson and Mary had, were in a relationship and it was just them at home at the time of the shooting. Wilson was immediately detained and placed into the backseat of the detective's car. After a few minutes, the detective sat in the front seat and asked Wilson basic questions about himself. After answering, Wilson claimed the couple had been drinking all day and were angry with one another because of some broken Christmas ornaments. So things didn't go well trying to set that tree up. No. I, yeah. At 317, not even an hour after arriving on scene, detectives took Wilson to the police department to continue their interview, which at this point was not recorded. Wilson, we, do, we do have recording technology in this year of 1993, we do. Yep. right? We do, yeah. Okay. Yep, that's a fair question. Yeah, yeah yep. Wilson claimed, I mean, it wasn't 1942, but yeah, I mean, it was right. 1993. Just they, making sure yeah. this, is, this is a law enforcement agency that does have access to such technology. Yes. They just chose not to this time. And there's a reason for it. Oh. So Wilson claimed the couple had been drinking schnapps, beer, and rum all day. After coming home from tree shopping, which, by the way, that is quite the concoction. Well, is, I'm, I'm running the numbers here. Yeah. Schnapps, beer, beer rum. Rum. Yeah. He maybe, left out the tequila. Maybe from, drinking maybe drinking the beer and shots of schnapps and rum. I mean, don't act like you've never done it before. So Right. These things don't mix well, folks, okay? That just, just doesn't. So after, after coming home from tree shopping, Wilson at that point claimed that he fell asleep on the couch. Mary then came out of the bedroom and started screaming at him. She hit him on his feet, did not have a weapon, and then threatened him. Wilson grabbed his gun that he kept under the cushion of the couch and fired. According to Wilson, he shot her while she was facing him and standing by the bedroom door. 
fucking liar. He claimed to not realize, he claimed to not realize that there was a round in the chamber. When she fell, he immediately moved her so he could check on her. So that would be why there were two pools of blood. Fair. I, I don't, I'm not buying his bullshit story, but that part, But that fair. makes sense. He did move her. But my question is, how long did he wait before he moved her? If to, to create a, a, a pool of, or a puddle of uh, 18 inches in diameter, because that was under the tree trunk, and then under her was a much smaller pool of blood. So how long did he wait before he moved her? Very fair he, question. He claimed it was immediately. It wasn't. It was not. No. So, yeah, I mean, it just seems it, there are some holes in this story. Does, does the dad know that she was actually alive the first time he called? Uh, is there, I mean, like, does he know seems for to be. sure? I mean, okay. yeah, seems because to be. Because this, this seems to have happened maybe on a, on, on a longer timeline than, than was previously assumed. And I don't uh, know. I'm not sure if I agree with okay, you on that. Okay. For, I don't know. It, yeah. so, it sounds like a little bit to me. And even the fact that. We've already got the autopsy report, so we know that she was shot in the back of the head at close range and there was damage to her knees. And my immediate thought was that he threatened her with that gun, forced her on his knees and executed her. That That's the first thing that came to my mind when I heard mm-hmm. what you said there. So, yeah, his whole story here is already such total it's, bullshit, it's bullshit to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, there are holes for sure. And, I mean, it's 1993 – Forensic aren't a, forensics aren't a huge thing, but at that point, but it's still, you can't be that stupid. Well, we still have ballistics, you right. know. We, we, I mean, we, you can't be that dumb, right? but I guess you can be. So after Wilson was finished sharing his side of the story, the detectives asked him if he'd be willing to give his statement again so it could be recorded. Wilson said, I wouldn't mind doing it, but not right now. You have to understand, I just killed the woman I love. So they didn't originally... I need some time here. Yeah. I just, I just killed the woman I love. Yeah. Okay. But you can come back and record it when I'm, when I've done, when I'm done processing this thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. did it. You got me. I admit it. But I need some time. Right. And the reason they didn't... Uh, the, the reason that they didn't record it right away was they did not want to intimidate him because he was singing like a bird. So they didn't want to intimidate him. Fair. I mean, I think you kind of have to go with your gut on that one at that point. It's a, it's a, you know, a split decision or split second decision. Maybe. Yeah. And knowing that I I don't, I don't, I won't sit here and like armchair cop this, you know, it it was the right choice. I think it's the right choice at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So even though Wilson had supposedly been drinking all day, he didn't appear to be incoherent or overly intoxicated. So he wasn't thick tongued when speaking to the police. Or just not... He wasn't wobbly. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't incoherent. Oh, yeah. All that adrenaline coursing through him post Probably murder, sobered, him up, sobered maybe? him up a little, possibly. Yeah. Well, his eyes were still bloodshot and he did smell of alcohol, but he did not appear to have any issues with motor function. Right. He even went to the bathroom twice, uh, didn't fall. He walked there. There were no issues in this 90 minute interview. According to the detectives, he, quote, did not appear to have difficulty with the tasks before him. So he's like somebody who partied until one o'clock at night and then went to work at seven o'clock in the morning. I think he's a functional, he's a a functional 2.0 alcoholic. Like he is a functional alcoholic. It is so easy to underestimate the functionality of of some addictions. Yes, it, it really is. 
So at approximately 6.10 p.m. when Wilson completed his side of the story, and he was then at that point officially arrested for first-degree murder, detectives took him to the hospital for a blood test. His blood alcohol level, oh boy, barely four hours after his last drink, was 0.29. Is that is that big? <laughs> yeah. yeah is, that's, that's, a, is that a good number? It's big time drunk. Yeah. At the time of the shooting, it was estimated to be 0.34%. In Minnesota at the time, the legal driving limit was 010 I mean, to, to be fair, you could drink cough syrup and be over the legal limit. So, that, I mean, I don't know if that's a very accurate. Did you, did you learn that in law enforcement school? Did you learn that in cop school? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Are you drinking? That's, the, that's, are you, are you that's drinking an the, exaggeration, but yeah. but realistically, like the legal limit is so so low in terms of like legal intoxication. It's. I feel um, like you should research that before you say that again. I, guess, I feel like it's low. Yeah, I, I don't. I I mean, if you're drinking the bottle of Nyquil, maybe. If you're, you know, swallowing your Listerine, the, maybe. The cough syrup was an exaggeration, but in totality, compared to how most people drink socially or even regularly, what the legal limit is considered isn't is that now. much. That's that's what, two beers, a beer? It's just not a lot. So for me, it's... It's not a beer. Have you, did, have you ever drank before? Like, have uh, you... No, never. Like, it's not a beer. A beer is not going to put you over the legal limit. Oh, really? Really. Again, you should, unless you've gone to cop school. I, I mean, I haven't gone to cop school. You probably shouldn't say those things. Yeah. <laughs> this guy. I mean, what? And there's a reason why buzz driving is drunk driving. No, it's okay. 3.5 beers. Okay. So it's like one craft beer. So it's like 3.5 piss lights or one IPA. So a sip, a, a sip of, but in, in your words, a sip of cough syrup is going to get you there. In my exaggerative joke, yes. Yes, it was. <sighs> you guys, this guy over here, I can't, I can't even with him. Anyway, in Minnesota at the time, the legal driving limit was 0. .10. So he was nearly three times the legal limit. And so, I mean, that's... that's it, so you're yeah. telling me that's a lot. That's a lot. It's what is what I'm, is what you're getting at. The autopsy would show that Mary's blood alcohol level was 0.31. So she was she was up there too. I was not exaggerating when I said that they alcohol was the center of their life. Well, no, and you sure. said it was a it was a three day bender. Yeah, and then they woke up on day three and began at sunup. So right, yeah, yeah. So Wilson attended court the next day, and bond was set at three hundred fifty thousand. A few days later, his bail was reduced to 200000 On December 23rd, he bonded out and was released to his parents. He was released the same day Mary's family buried her. Her brother, Bob Hagford, said, quote, We were attending the funeral of my sister, and he was already walking the streets. He spent a total of four days in jail. One of the lead detectives also felt blindsided by the lowered bond and release, saying, quote, We were confused, befuddled, and agitated. Nobody consulted us. Nobody notified us. You'd think there would be some mechanism in the system to keep us informed. Yeah, I'm, I'm perplexed and my face is distorted in confusion at why they would allow that. Looks pretty normal. Yeah. This guy is showing, up, today. This guy is showing up with the jokes today, I guess. Yeah. So Judge, Judge Dolores uh, O'Reilly, or O'Ray, who reduced the bond, said, quote, If I were a parent or a family member of the victim, I would certainly feel there were grounds to be upset. Oh. If you're not pissed off yet, just wait. But I'm the judge here, and I have certain obligations. I still believe, given the information I had available, that I made the right decision. 
He just took someone's life. And absolute I mean, cold blooded murder. Yeah. The, the, there's not even an insinuation of an accidental discharge of a weapon or or anything. No, he nothing. he murdered his wife in cold blood. Yeah, you're innocent until proven guilty, but in this case he's already admitted he's already he's, admitted he's guilt. So what the hell? Yeah. So Wilson's freedom would not last for long though. Additional charges were added on January 12th, 1994. So less than a month. He was charged with first degree murder while committing domestic abuse and first degree assault. So that tells me that the cops and the state's attorney were like, okay, this, this SOB should be in jail and he's, you know, he should be charged with something else, something more severe. And that is a, so that's a very specific charge. I'm not sure if I've heard here on Midwest murder yet being charged with first degree murder while in commission of domestic violence. It's like a spousal abuse. Like yeah. A, yeah. So yeah. It, it's, that's a more egregious version of murder mm-hmm. at, would, at that point. It, it, that's my take on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So his bond was set at 500,000 and in a weird game of some type of legal system tug of war, his bond was reduced a week later to 200,000 for the additional charges and he eventually bailed out. So I think it's obvious how serious domestic abuse was taken in the 90s. Nobody gave two shits. No, we've seen it time and again that nobody gave... Well, I won't say nobody gave two shits. That's, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's like saying cough syrup will get you a DUI. <laughs> it's true. So Wilson's trial began on June 20th, 1994, almost six months to the day that Mary Hagford was murdered. And this trial was less about proving Wilson was the one to pull, that pulled the trigger and more about whether Wilson was responsible for his own actions due to his level of intoxication. In a nutshell, was Paul Wilson mentally capable of committing murder? So did he, was he going for some sort of uh, insanity plea here? Or? No insanity plea, but okay. you, you sit tight on that. I can't wait to get to the defense's uh, spot. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So according to an article on justia.com, uh, voluntary intoxication or basically being too drunk to know what you're doing can be used as a defense. Essentially, a person could be so intoxicated during a burglary, this was the example that they, that they gave, that, quote, he was unable to form an intent to commit a crime therein. So some legal jargon. So while most states allow voluntary intoxication as a defense, the one saving grace there, I guess, is the quote burden is on the defendant to prove that he or she lacked the necessary intent. I'm, I'm sorry. I just cannot, there's no part of me that can agree with the, uh, the notion that somebody's too shit faced to be guilty. That's, that's, it's what, that's what they're saying. Sorry. Yeah. That's he was just saying. too wasted to really know what he was doing. So, okay. You can, you're, you're, you're just suggesting that somebody can get blackout drunk, do the worst imaginable crime possible. And there's a, they should be considered, eh, they're not that guilty. Yep. Ugh. That's pretty much it. Yeah. They, they also, uh, reminds me of that affluenza teen who got away with running somebody over in Texas because he was too rich and drunk to understand his actions. The, they also talked about the involuntary intoxication, which I think is important to, to address too. That is like if somebody had been roofied or drugged or something like that. Fair. Right. Okay. They, that's obviously a different fight that Absolutely. someone has. Cause you, you know, that, that's, 
You're not just drinking beers. Somebody drugged you and then you did a crime. So if you could prove that you've been drugged by somebody unwillingly. There, yeah. That yeah. that makes a lot so that more makes sense. sense. But right, there's, there's a, a path there. But when there's a voluntary intoxication, so I just, you know, I pound in your in, in your numbers, I pound three craft beers and I'm blackout drunk. Yeah. That's that's not the case, you guys. Three craft beers yeah. or, you know, six bottles of cough syrup, whatever. Whatever it might be. So the state's theory was laid out well. While Mary was kneeling, this is what they think, while Mary was kneeling, trying to saw the end of the trunk off, Wilson came up behind her, oh. put the gun against her head, hard enough to leave that imprint, and fired, causing her to die in an instant. There's no way that he shot her from the front. There's no way. No. It's at that point that that story is laughable I because mean, the, even his defense team didn't bring it up. The, the, yeah. This guy's an idiot for so many reasons. So the prosecution called a pathologist to then weigh in on Wilson's mental capability. The pathologist testified that regardless of his potential blood alcohol level, a person could carry out a shooting and that it would not matter if a person was blackout drunk or not. They would have the wherewithal to carry out a shooting and it would not matter. So psychologically, you know, speaking in your brain, you know, that's, that's, that's how that works. So he's saying like the, the level of alcohol that was consumed did not alter the like psychological decision making. No. You can still make you can you still can... make that decision. Okay. Yeah. So friends and family testified. Friends and family of Mary's testified that there was a history of abuse. And this is where we start to get in the into the injustice <sighs> for Mary. That that it's yeah. So Mary had been dealing with his shit for seven way years. Too, yeah. Way too long. Mary had often been seen with bruises and black eyes, and she told her, you know, anybody who would ask her in her, fa- her family and friends that, yeah, it was, you know, she would make up stories, but then say that, yeah, it was, it was, what's his face? It was Wilson. She didn't, she didn't give him the ran into a door no. story. No. She told the truth. People it, knew. Yeah. But she never took, went to like a domestic violence, violence crisis center, never pressed charges not against a, him at any point. Not aware at that point, but she had called 911 for help. So prosecutors pointed, pointed out that Mary was five foot one and approximately 119 pounds. Wilson was five foot 11 and 175 pounds. Oh, man. So Wilson's attorney chose a different theory. This one makes me sweat. His attorney said that the two were alcoholics and Mary would become, quote, aggressively violent when drinking. Of Wilson, he said, quote, he was the victim of battering, not the batterer. The defense attorney it, it, said... It's possible. It, it's absolutely It does possible. go both ways. It's absolutely possible. Uh, in this case, it does not. No. The defense attorney said her bruises, quote, were more likely to have come from falling downstairs or from punching Wilson than from him punching her. He claimed, Wait a second. Yeah. Did I, I, did I get that right? You did. So I'll, I'll reread it though, she, in case yeah. she got bruised in the commission of attacking him. Yeah, that's where his. That's it was more likely for her bruises to appear because she was hitting him, hey, def- not him hitting her. Defense attorneys have a tough job. They don't have to be heartless bastards. Like I mean, you don't. You know, that's yes, they do have a tough job. However, this this is this is where it, it crosses a line. If it were true, that's a different story. But it, it's it, they're. Saying that his her bruises came from her punching him, get fucked. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. No, that's, don't. That's don't like be. I'm. 
Don't be sorry. sorry. It's, inf- it's, it's, it, it's, it's infuriating. It's so infuriating. He claimed that Mary only accused Wilson of abuse to hide the fact that, quote, she was becoming a falling down drunk. He said, quote, this guy gave a lot of quotes. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's a loathsome thing to say because she's a victim of murder at this point. And abuse. But, and abuse. But it's also not a, an unrealistic possibility because of how heavy they drank. And the, I mean, like that is not an unrealistic possibility, but it's not an excuse. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not indulging in what he's saying, but I mean, we, ha- we have established that everything that these two did revolved around alcohol. But did so, you hear that? Did you hear what I said there? He claimed that Mary only accused Wilson of abuse to hide the fact that she was, she was becoming a falling, a falling down, down drunk. drunk. Right. Like. Which is bullshit. That's a leap. That's, that's it's, a, it's leap a huge there. leap. And there is a reason why abuse victims don't come forward. And it's oh, because of this bullshit. Of course it is. It's hopefully it's gotten easier for abuse victims to come forward over time. And uh, yeah, it's so this, uh, this awesome attorney kept going. He said, quote, it was a mere twist of fate that their relationship ended in Mary Hagford's death and not Paul Wilson's. When you started the story, I did not know which, which way it was going to go. So in, in, in that regard, yeah, knowing what we know now, it seems crazy. But when you've got two people in a volatile relationship, we didn't know which way it was going. No. So it, it yeah. Yeah. You're on a crash course. You don't know which, which way it could go. So Wilson on the stand denied hitting Mary multiple times and said that Mary had not called 911 in an effort to deescalate his violent behavior. She didn't call 911 for that reason. So it's, it's almost like, no, I didn't. No, that was not what she, she did not do it because of that reason, where it's like, that was obviously the reason you, you know, dummy. The one thing I wish um, in, in the state of Minnesota, you can look up, you know, of course, just like the state of North Dakota, you can look up, you know, criminal charges and all of those things. He, he had been arrested for disorderly conduct in 1992, so a year before the murder, but it mm-hmm. doesn't say if it was disorderly conduct. In for, response uh, to it, a domestic right. call. Yes. Because once in a while, when an officer shows up in these domestic situations and the victim does not want to press charges, once in a while, the I don't abuser, think that's how it is anymore. No? Well, once in a while, yeah. the abuser does do something that crosses a line and you can charge him with disorderly Well, yeah, conduct. they're just being an asshole. It's a, right. That's the asshole charge. That's what I mean, yeah. Right? It, like, it's a once you know, in a while, you get the asshole charge on somebody yeah. and it's it's like a relief in the case. And yeah. it's... Yeah, so it's it's tough to say because it didn't. The, the one thing the court documents didn't give is dates of when those calls were made. Sure, and I, I wish it would have gone into a little more detail there. So of their relationship, Wilson testified, "quote We and the bottle were our own best friends." So yeah, that's likely true. That is likely true. You had a drinking a drinking buddy in your relationship, um, but it doesn't. That's not why she had bruises. That's not why she had called 911 for domestic abuse multiple times. And because, what a, because at what point at what point do you believe the victim? At what point would you believe her? I'm immediately prone to believe the victim right away. Like that's my default is to believe the victim. However, because of Midwest murder and what I've learned over the years, I have become maybe a little more prone to want some evidence behind behind it. Like, okay, I believe the victim, but I'm not going to persecute the accuser until I have evidence, right? I do. I, I want evidence for things because that's the way the law works, right? We want evidence to be able to prosecute somebody. So 
you know, I, I do like seeing some evidence, but I always lean toward the victim side. I, I just, I just have a natural inclination to do it. Uh, I, I've seen domestic violence. I, I know people who've experienced uh, terrible, terrible situations, and I've helped people gone, you know, go through these situations. So, I mean, I always lean that way. But I've been surprised in cases before where it didn't go where I thought I w- it was going um, with with the domestic abuse between two people in a abusive and toxic relationship. So Wilson testified that he probably did shoot his longtime girlfriend. He testified that he probably did. But he didn't intend to harm her or kill her. <laughs> so this, 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 dip, this dipshit sat on the stand and testified, yep, I probably did shoot her, but I did not intend to hurt her. I did not intend to hurt her. Well, you shot her in the back of the head. Like, that's, like, like how is that? What? How, how is that not intentional? So he, he can, claimed... Let, let us not forget what a prick for having her cut the tree anyways. It's his job. Yeah, I don't... Like, yeah. No offense but to he the, was the, that, you know, the, them awesome do-it-yourself ladies that want to do things. But for me, if that's my job, I'm cutting the tree. I don't, I don't have my, my, my wife down there cutting the tree. He probably knew he was going to do that. It was premeditated. I mean, at, at, they they did say that oh, it was, they did. Oh, they, they charged, did. It was the wow, charge was okay. premeditated first degree murder. See? So, or that's it, the yeah. The get down there and there. cut that. And he went and grabbed the gun like it. So it, he Wilson claimed to not have had any memory from Friday evening to Sunday morning. That's a gap in time. Holy shit! So leaving the VFW at approximately one thirty on Sunday. Nope, didn't remember it. He recalled nothing until quote he heard an explosion and saw Hagford on the floor of their home. He remembered kneeling next to Mary and seeing the blood on her face, but then remembered nothing until he was standing next to his parents outside by the garage. He claimed the death of Mary finally sunk in five days before his trial started, saying, quote, over the months, I tried not to dwell on it. Knowing Mary was dead and I was somewhat responsible is hard to cope with. Somewhat responsible? Somewhat responsible? Just a little bit. Uh, Also, I think it's important to note there were never any broken ornaments found in or around the house. So the 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 fight over mm-hmm. broken ornaments, there's no evidence to support right. that claim. After 17 days of trial, Wilson was found guilty of first-degree murder and acquitted of first-degree murder while committing domestic abuse and first-degree assault. So he was found guilty of his first initial charge, but found not guilty of the first-degree murder while committing domestic abuse and first-degree assault. And you said a 17-day trial? Yeah, it's 17 awfully, days. It's an awfully long trial, actually. Mm-hmm. So prior to his sentencing hearing, this guy just gets better, Wilson asked to leave the courtroom during sentencing so he wouldn't have to listen to Mary's family talk about him. Did they let him out? The judge all but laughed in his face. Wilson was sentenced to life in prison and is eligible for parole after 30 years. Must not have been the same judge which, that dropped him to 200,000. Which is 2024. So yeah, that would be that's that's 30 years you guys. Can you believe it's 30 years? Yeah. So I I did I actually used the calculator on that one cuz I was like, "No. Is that it, is not accurate." It is. 30 years was his sentence or he's, he's up eligible, for possible eligible, he's eligible for it's life okay, in prison okay, life okay. in prison eligible for parole after 30 years. So it's not that he's for sure He's not for sure out getting out, year. but it's it's yeah. Do you know how that's going for him? They haven't had a parole hearing yet. Okay. Yeah, I know that. 
Uh, Mary's brother, Wayne Hagford, said, quote, the whole ordeal has changed me, and I feel I will always harbor some bitterness. One thing I have learned and would tell everyone is if you suspect any type of abuse or if you have been abused, talk to someone and do something before it's too late. He's right. Yeah. He's, he, he is absolutely right. And we've, we've plugged them before, and, and I just want to take this moment to do it again, that please, if, if you are facing an abusive situation, wherever you are, do call someone. And in, in Minot, we have the Domestic Violence Crisis Center. I know that there are similar organizations in nationwide, virtu- yeah. pretty much every city across the country. And there's a cycle of, of control and abuse that happens. And there are so many hidden things that that are part of abuse that aren't at the forefront. It's not always violent. It's it's financial control. It's emotional abuse. It's using the kids uh, against against a partner. It's using the an animal. I've, pets get used against certain partners, and there are very clear escalation patterns. And I, I just I just want everyone to be to be safe and to be smart. And we know better. We know what these escalations look like. We we understand how it looks in the end. And we don't want to see anybody in that situation. So I I know it's not easy, but please do get help, contact someone, call someone. So sources for today's episode on this day.com, historicnewspapers.co.uk, ESPN to find out that score. You're welcome. Uh, Court documents, various articles from the Star Tribune, Mark Brunswick, staff writers, uh, Margaret Zach, Donna Halverson, and then a constitutional response to the realities of intimate violence, Minnesota's domestic homicide statute by Margaret C. Hobday. Uh, so make sure you check out the merch. Make sure, for those of you in the audience, make sure you scan that QR code like immediately. Tell us what you want to name this episode. Ask us all the questions. Uh, this episode was written by myself, Don Palumbo, and uh, Midwest Murder is hosted by Joan Alanto and myself, produced by the Good Talk network yeah one of us is the guy one of us is intellectual lazy Mm -hmm. i'll let you guys figure that one out who's who thank you roosevelt park zoo and minot